Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast dedicated to leaders of customer support operations and their amazing stories. With us today is Matthew Caron, Vice President, Customer Support and Onboarding at OpenTable. Matthew, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Very, very happy to have you here. I know you and I connected a few times and talked about your previous experiences. And today we're going to be discussing something that I think is really close to heart of most leaders in customer support field and beyond. It is how to create truly amazing culture in customer support teams and how the leaders can leverage personal experience to gain insights that are so critical to drive change and create such a culture. I know you have a story to tell, and this podcast is all about stories, and I know it's a personal story. There's definitely one story that jumps out that has been the catalyst to a lot of decisions I make and how I not only lead, but also my career in general. And it started with the experience with my father and a very difficult personal time, which is actually when my mother passed away. It was about 11 years ago now, my mom died of cancer. When she was diagnosed as terminal and, and sent to hospice, to, to ride out her final days, my dad became her primary caregiver. There's a couple of annoying things about my father, lovingly annoying, is that he always answers his phone, doesn't matter what's going on. It could be in a movie, he'll answer his phone. On the day she died, it was particularly obnoxious. So after she passed away in their home through hospice, my dad continued to answer the phone every, day, every second. I went over there to spend time with him, to be with him during the experience, and people just kept calling to share their condolences. And what he would do is continue to rehash the last few moments of her life. Like all day, that's all you kept hearing. The phone would ring. He would, he would say, like, this is how she passed. What it really was accumulation of was the fact that he had been awake and taking care of her for 21 straight days. He didn't sleep. He didn't do anything. He completely sacrificed every little bit of anything he had to give to her, to the woman he loved most. And it was an amazing thing to watch and it was heartbreaking to see like towards the end of her life. Uh, And that's really what he was like getting out of these emotions he's getting out as he's telling these stories. But for me as her son, it was just, it was killing me all day. That's all I kept hearing. Well, finally, we're sitting on his front steps. Phone rings. Dad's going to go answer it. Here we go again. It's going to be the same story, but it's a different conversation. I hear a different tone from him. hear a different, just more strength in his voice. He comes over, sits down. I was like, Dad, what was that about? Obviously, it wasn't the same phone call that you've had all day. My father had worked within contact centers himself, actually. For almost 30 years, he worked within a large shipping company, a global corporation, over 100,000 to 300,000 employees. So it's hard to be identified. It's hard to find individuality. While he was just a manager, he was in a meeting. A young supervisor presented a concept, an idea. My father gave him feedback on the experience and offered for the gentleman to follow up with him, which he did. He followed up with my dad, presented the solution to his feedback. This is how I applied it. My father gave him further feedback to apply to the project and to his career. And that was it. 20 minutes. That's all he spent with this gentleman. But 20 years later, that guy decided to call my dad just one random day to let him know that you took a little bit of time with me. And from that time, I was able to invest it in these ways. And ultimately, I want to thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. And here's how it ultimately gave me a career. I now am professionally successful. I'm financially successful. I'm even personally successful with, with a wife and family. And he tracked it all down to that one experience he had with my dad. That was the catalyst 
to me changing my life. And I just wanted to let you know that. He had no idea, the gentleman, that my mother was sick, let alone that she had passed away that day. But he just happened to call on not only the worst of all days, but really in the worst of all moments for my father to let him know that, hey, you had changed my life. And for my dad being in the lowest moment where I couldn't save my wife, I couldn't save the person I love most. But then for someone to reach out and say, you saved me. That was a very powerful experience for me. And my, my takeaway was that you never know the impact you can have on a human being by just empowering them with the gift of your time and just having simply a, a short, brief conversation and asking, how can I help? But the other part of it is you'll never know when that good karma that you put out there, that, that belief in others will come back around to serve you when you are in your deepest needs. As my story continues to evolve and as my journey has evolved since, unfortunately, my wife two years ago was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And having applied those lessons that I learned from that early experience in my career of always trying to find ways to, to have conversations with people and be there for people and make myself available, even if I have to sometimes sacrifice my own personal time, I did it because I want to have a positive impact in the world. And when I was delivered some devastating news, and my family was delivered devastating news, I kind of expected, hoped, and was also afraid it wouldn't happen, that good would come back out, that the relationships would come, and that people would be there for me. And that's absolutely been the reality, is that so many of those that I was able to provide inspiration for, or guidance for, or mentorship for, were then there for me in my darkest times, so that I was able to be a more positive and successful I live for my family, as well as still be successful in my business while we navigate these difficult times. So it's not only a story that's impacted how I lead, it's ultimately one that's impacted my life and how I live. And I like to apply that to business. Wow. Oh, wow. Thank you, Matthew, for sharing this. This is this is really a powerful story, a difficult story, and mm -hmm. also a very transformational story, it sounds to me. So I also know that you're a lifelong, you've also had a lifelong career in customer support and you started as an agent, I think, right? As a customer support rep. That's right. Yes, yes. And as far as I know, also that incident with your father, it kind of shaped to some degree your decision to go into that field, not just that, but also how you ended up building your career. And you are very successful, you're vice president, of a really, really famous company, you know, running this huge organization. Can you provide some insights as far as that moment with you when you learn about that incident with your father and, and, and your own moment as well with your wife? Like, how do, you, how do you use that every day at work to influence the type of culture you create, how you help people, because that's a huge part of it, obviously, how you treat your employees, your, your teammates, and ultimately how it shapes the overall experience for the entire organization? Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things that I learned by being raised by a, a customer service business leader was that nobody really wants that job. The job of a CSR is insanely difficult. It's way more difficult than any job description could ever actually articulate because the business always assumes so much more. The position always delivers so much less. And it's hard to have an individual identity. Now, it's not a role that people want. It's a role that people settle for. And what I find ironic is that the, the, the struggle between the terminology of leader versus manager, meaning that a manager wants to make sure that the business is succeeding, the units are getting created, and everything is done on time and within, within budget. 
But a leader wants to help people get there, get there faster than they thought they could, get their higher quality than they believe they even could, but do it because they want the individual to be successful. And that was what I took away is that that guy didn't work for my dad. He didn't report to my dad. My dad simply dedicated that time because he wanted to be a leader for that individual. And he had success as a result. The individual did. So when I had to start working in call centers, because in the recession of 08, could not find another job. And I had to accept a position as a call center representative. And immediately when I got into that world, I realized that it's surrounded with people that don't respect the position and don't respect the employee in the position. And therefore, they expect the employee to be grateful for a role, grateful for a job. Again, this was also a recession period. So you should be happy to have a job. I think you got to flip that around. You should be happy to have an employee. And that was the kind of takeaway that I had is that this is about them, not me. That every day, my job is to make sure that I'm not seen, that I'm not heard, but that they are. And so I started to focus on personal relationships and conversations a lot more than on KPIs. I learned that the KPIs are more so a representation of the commitment that the employee has to the business. Certainly after you get past the new hire ramp phase and you're into more tenured space, they're going to perform for two reasons. They'll perform for you or they'll perform for them. As I went through my journeys in my life and I've gone through my struggles and my successes, I've learned quite simply that I'm not going to perform for me, but I'll perform for my family. And I'll perform for a leader that inspires me. And if that's how I am, then there's probably others that same way. But there's also, if that's how I am, then there's others that are complete opposite as me. How do we motivate? How do we encourage? And quite often, if you have a conversation with an employee about how can I help you as a human being, the return is exponential. The performance is there tenfold. And directing those conversations towards growth in their life, not necessarily growth in their position, because you can have quite success and still be a CSR, but helping them define what they're looking for within their life by getting into the weeds and having a conversation about the history of their life. And that's the biggest thing that I learned is that the more transparent I am about my challenges, about my struggles, about my failures, both things I will never be able to accomplish, like dunk a basketball, then the more people see me as a human being, see me as somebody that they can be inspired by, they can work with, and they don't see my title. I think a lot of time that we have to break down the stigma of our titles instead of working up the pride that should be with it. I like to have a mission with every new employee that I meet that the first time they see me, they're going to see my title. I accept that. I've worked for that. But I'm really hoping after that first interaction, they see my first name and they see me as a person. Because if that level of respect exists, that it's not a vice president, it's Matthew, then they can understand that I don't see them as CSR employee number one, two, three, four, five. I see him as Nancy. David and Thomas. I see them as representations of their family and their children, Olivia, Jack, and Tommy. I see that their struggles are about how can they be the best parent for their children, not how can I not work on a Friday? And when you get into that true root causes of why people make the decisions that they make, you're now in a position where you can help influence them to make decisions that could be either more beneficial for them in the moment, in the future, whatever it may be, but really be able to mentor them through their life. And again, you do that, they're going to perform. So it's, I very quickly realized that focusing my business on helping people elevate their life status makes me more successful. So why the hell not do it anyway?
Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's coming back to like vulnerability and the power of it too. And it's very hard, especially very hard for people who are striving to grow and be in leadership positions because you constantly get trained to be strong, to portray that aura of success and, and competence all the time. But I think with your team, you actually do want to be vulnerable because like I said, they perform for you or for them. If you can get them to do both, it's just a much better performance, right? They do yep. it for themselves because they do. That's not natural for people. But if they do it for you because they respect you and relate to you, then you get a star, star performer, basically. Yeah, I think one of the ways you can show that is I love it when my ideas get challenged. Really, that's so much like, hey, I disagree with you. That gives me the biggest smile. I'm like, that is awesome. I love to hear that. Thank you so much. Tell me why I'm wrong. And then they do. But that's when you get some of the best then team performance and collaboration is challenge your leaders. But as a leader, you can't have the ego that makes it to where they're not willing to challenge you. You can't be defensive like, oh, my idea is the best idea. Or we got to follow it because mine has all of the insight. Mine has all the experience behind it. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your idea is. A human being is going to have to execute it. So how do you get them bought into it? Make it their idea. And by letting them challenge you, by being vulnerable, by accepting the fact that, hey, these are mistakes I'm going to make. And that's the other thing I like to do when I, when I introduce myself. I introduce my mistakes as well. I'm dyslexic. I've been my whole life, obviously. Hey, you're going to see some misspelled emails from me, just so you know. I tend to get certain words wrong. Don't think any less of me, I hope. But that's going to happen. Hey, it's okay, boss. I, I make mistakes too all the time. There you go. It's okay. We all do. We're human beings. And also then if by acknowledging the fact, like, I'm going to make a mistake, you're going to find an email from me that has the wrong spelled word in it or the wrong contextual word in it. I'm going to use every spell check I can. I'm going to use all the tools. I'm going to use Grammarly professionally. It's still going to happen. You've just also opened up an environment to where they can make a mistake. And if you have an organization that doesn't believe they can make a mistake, then you don't have one that's performing. You have one that's acting off of fear. And you want one that has the empowerment to act for their customer. And sometimes to do that, they're going to make a business mistake for the right thing for the customer. And then you as a business learn from that. But there are so many policies we've changed for the betterment of employees, for the betterment of customers, because an employee made a mistake with the customer. I think so much when it comes to defining your culture, really what you're talking about is as a leader, you're defining your relationship with your business. If you're stubborn, so is the business. If you're loud, so is the business. If you're fun, so is the business. If you're hard ass, so is the business. But if you're willing to talk, you're willing to build a relationship with people, then they're willing to do it with each other. But it's very much the tone on how you act. I remember one of the most crucial pieces of feedback that I ever got, and I got it over and over again early in my career, is that I always looked pissed off. And the reason was like, that was my thinking face. As I'm walking down the halls, I was like, man, what am I doing here? How do I process that? How do I, it was just my natural disposition. I'm like, you look angry all the time. You must not like your job. And if you don't like your job, and I'm aspiring to get to your job, then man, I must not like my job either. Yeah. And it's like, don't judge me on my face. That's so simple. But that's so simple. Just walk through the hall with a smile. And I realized like what I was perpetuating. Was I happy with my job? I actually was. I enjoyed what I was doing. So am I angry about these thoughts? No, I'm, I'm intrigued by these ideas. And so that started to be more of the face. I'm like, boss, you got this look on your face like you're puzzling. I got an idea I'm working through. Can't wait to talk about it with you all. 
it's a very different reaction than me coming down, brow things buried in my in the laptop and not paying attention to people. So, so it's you, all about how you carry yourself. Did you, so you become conscious of it and actually changed it. That's a really good. Yep. It's like a big flex. It's not that easy to change, right? It was impactful for you, right, and for the team around you. Yeah. Yep. I know you have to be always thinking. I'm gonna ask you a question though. There's some really deep, interesting lessons here, but they all imply that the leader takes some serious time to get to know people on a personal level. I know, you know, million leaders will tell you right away, well, where do I, where do I get the time to get to know personally if I have a huge team? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they also get stressed out by the amount of stuff they have to do. What's your take on that? Where do you find time? Where does someone find time? That's a great question. And people always look at me cross-eyed with my answer to this question. So we all want to have data-driven decision-making businesses, and we want to be make wise, fantastic choices where we've evaluated all things. I do too. I've learned that I have to trust certain people to give me answers, or I will end up having to do their job. And if I'm doing their job, then I can't do the job that I want to do. I've seen that a lot of leaders in my role spend so much time in reports, so much time in spreadsheets, so much time looking at the work that others did to find the little hole of the mistake that they might have made. And I I do dive into the data. Don't get me wrong. I didn't need to know my business. I need to know my opportunities. I don't believe I need to go to the 58th degree level down and know the triple decimal level of every data output. Because even though I do want to know that, I do see the value in knowing that. I need to know why that number is what it is too. I spend less time doing data inspection than I believe others do and spend more time doing personality inspection. Another thing that I did before COVID that admittedly is hard now, but I think it is a good practice to share and we just find other ways to do it, is that when we were in office, it's a simple thing you can do, but you can gain a lot of strength. I'd walk around and I'd shake everybody's hand first thing every day. 150 people in the stat in the office, didn't matter. That's the first half hour I spent the day. First, I got my coffee. Then walk around. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. One, there's a lot of transfer of information from personal touch. When you shake somebody's hand every single day, you'll notice when it's firmer. You notice when it's when it's weaker. Why is it weaker? It's Monday. They don't want to be here. Every time David shakes hand like that on Monday, he doesn't want to be on Mondays. That's okay. We know that. But all of a sudden this Monday, his hand is, is strong. It's firm. What happened over the weekend? I had a great weekend. Awesome. It's now Wednesday. It's, it's week again. What's going on? Don't know. He doesn't want to open up. Great. But let me follow up with their supervisor. Do you know what's happening with David today? I don't. Something did. Go find out. There's a physical difference in him today than what there normally is just because the difference in pressure from the handshake, the difference in now he's not making eye contact, the difference is he putting his head down, even a tire. You notice when all of a sudden they're not dressing the same way that they used to dress, but it's the subtle little details from the consistency of this pattern of everyday reaching out to people. But the other is that again, it brings down. I'm not in my office and I'm unachievable. I'm not an email away. I'm not a phone call away. I'm literally right here. And I come to you in your space and I'm extending my hand out to you. I learned so much about the individuals and so much about the people because also they had their pictures around their desk. Oh, who's this? Who's that? Oh, that's my daughter. It's my son. 
Where's this drawing from? My three-year-old drew that. Wonderful. And then now as you're telling these stories, you're breaking down the perception. You're breaking down the stigma. Information is now being transferred. Hey, boss, while I got you, this is broken. Did you know that this link is broken? I did not. Thank you so much. Let's go tell so-and-so. Hey, this customer just told me this. I've had 10 of them today. Thanks for the information. I'll let you know. Did you know the supervisor just did this for me and my family? I do now. Thanks for letting me know. The information comes in different ways. It's not coming from reports. It's not coming from emails. It's coming from people's mouths. And now I'm having conversations. And again, being dyslexic, I like to have conversations more than read reports. So play to my strengths and try and minimize my own weaknesses. Wow, this is really awesome, Matthew. So what did we learn today outside of really, really interesting, very personal story of your parents and your own family? When it comes to building amazing culture, what stood out to me, one, let people make mistakes and don't punish them for that, for for, for just their ability to experiment and try something new, right? So that's a culture. Vulnerability for a leader, we hear it time and time again. It's amazing that you mentioned this yet again, because we kind of know this, right? So many books have been written about it. It's very hard to practice. Mm-hmm. And we hear that. So for anybody who's kind of looking to pick up on some trends here, this is a big one, right? Spending time with your people, with your team, some real time, even at the expense of maybe drowning in data, seems mm-hmm. to be the way to go. And I think the last one is, which you, which you demonstrated today really well, just use use your whole self, right? With all your strengths and weaknesses, with your talents and maybe some shortcomings, kind of bring yourself to work wholly. And that I think what creates for a really strong leadership that the team trusts and therefore tends to be inspired by, right? And and overperform over time. This is how I see it. Yep, pretty accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. Matthew, this was really awesome. Very deep conversation thank you so much for coming a lot to learn some really really strong good insights and i'm excited for our next conversation going forward thank you so much thank you me as well